You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. For those who don't know me, my name is Bin and I'm the senior pastor here. Always a joy to, to be able to open up the word of God with you on a Sunday. Uh, if this is your first time, welcome to Sun Life Church. If this is your second time, your third time, uh, welcome. And if you're a Sun Lifer, welcome. And I think I've welcomed everyone, right? Um, we've been going through the book of Acts, uh, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And this series is all about tracing through the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Um, I was led by God to change my passage during the week, and that rarely happens. But um, for those who know, you know, we, we map out our preaching for the whole year, uh, and I was really led by the Spirit of God to, to focus on the life of Stephen. Um, if you know in the book of Acts, Stephen is the first deacon, but also the first martyr to give up his life for the gospel. And God really spoke to me and said, look, I want you to teach on this because... Um, there are brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who have given up their lives for the gospel and there are those who are willing to give up their lives in the coming days and weeks and I want you to teach that well to Sun Life Church. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to go through Acts uh, chapter 6 and 7 but specifically look at the life of Stephen and, and teach you some biblical truth and at the end of my sermon I'm going to invite us as a church to pray for the people of Afghanistan and, and the brothers and sisters working over there and, and the world leaders. So, and we're going to do that. We had a wonderful time at the 9 o'clock service where God really just moved me to invite people to, to come up here and pray. And I'm going to do the same. And I really believe that God is going to use us to pray, to build our faith, but also pray for those in Afghanistan and for those joining us online. In that moment, you know, I encourage you to pray as well. Pray at home, wherever you are tuning in from. Pray. I pray for those uh, in Afghanistan. Um, of course, we know what's happened with the Taliban taking over the country. Pray because we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that God answers our prayer. And we, pray, we believe that we're not praying to the air, but we are praying to the Creator God, the sovereign God who sits on the throne. And He's able to change situations. So we're going to pray later on. Is that okay? So if you have your Bible, turn with me now to Acts chapter 6. If you have the church app, um, turn to uh, the, le- the notes for this morning's message. If you don't have the church app, then just find, find time to download it. Do yourself a favor. The church app is amazing. All right, Download it. The, the app will have the notes. Um, if you don't have the app, that's okay. Turn, out, turn your Bible to Acts chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible or the app, then we've got the passage of study on the screen. There are three biblical truths I want to teach you this morning concerning the life of Stephen and how the Holy Spirit works uh, in him. And I titled this message, uh, The Deacon, the Martyr, and the Holy Spirit. Three biblical truths. Number one, that Christian service, effective Christian service, must begin with the Holy Spirit. Number two, Christian courage, right, is only enabled by the Holy Spirit. And Christian martyrdom, if God calls you to give up your life for Him, it is only possible it is only possible through the Holy Spirit. 
So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to teach you those biblical truths. Let's pray now. Father God, I pray now that you would help me to expound your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, be our great teacher. Will you teach us your wonderful uh, biblical truth this morning, and that we don't just hear, but we are moved to live lives for your glory. So God, will you use me in this time? Holy Spirit, will you help me to articulate your word well, God? Will there be clarity? Will there be accuracy, a passion as I teach your word to your people this time? Help us all right now. We need your spirit right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Are we ready? Are we ready? Do we have our Bibles out? Acts chapter 6. If you know Acts chapter 6, there's some good news and not so good news. The good news is that uh, the gospel is being preached and many people have come to the faith. It's growing. Lots of Christians, lots of disciples. The not so good news is now they have a problem because they've got so many people joining the community and there's an issue between the Hebraic or the Hebrew widows and the Greek widows. They, they need support. They need food. So the apostles or the 12 disciples of Jesus realized that they could not spend all their time serving food and they've got to appoint leaders helpers and they appoint seven uh, spiritual leaders and we see that in Acts chapter uh, 6 verses 2 and 3. Let's go there. So the 12, the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it is not right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on the table. See, they say that we cannot neglect preaching of the Word to serve food. So verse 3, brothers and sisters, uh, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Can you see that? So they begin to uh, select seven godly men, all right? And Christians today, uh, we would agree, it's not in the Bible, but we would agree that in the church we have elders and pastors who primarily teach the Word of God. So I'm a pastor at Sun Life Church, and I'm the primary preacher teacher here. And we have what you call other leaders who are support leaders. And in church history, we call them deacons or deaconess, right? And their job is to support, to release the pastor to preach the Word of God, to pray, to study. And that's what I do most of my time. Apart from leadership and coaching, I spend time in prayer, I spend time in study, and I spend time to write the Word of God. So deacons are people who may be good at administration, uh, you know, supporting uh, church, uh, finance. And in the text here, we see that they pick seven deacons. All right, now look in verse 5 with me. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen. See, Stephen is the first to be mentioned, right? A man full of what? Faith and of the Holy Spirit. Can you see that? And then they chose Philip and etc., etc. Now, Stephen is one of the first seven deacons to be selected. And I would say that he's the first deacon because he's the first to be mentioned. But let's not argue there. That's not the point. The point here, if you look carefully here, the text tells us that there's a criteria in which they would select these leaders. Look in verse 3 and verse 5 again. You notice they're full of the Spirit. Can you see that? They're people full of the Spirit. That was a criteria that these godly workers were people full of the Spirit. And I'll go back to that point later on. But what you notice is that when you have people who are full of the Spirit doing God's work, 
there's always going to be fruitfulness. You're going to see effective Christian ministry. Look with me in verse 7. Look how God would bless the work right there. Verse 7. So the word of God spread. In other words, they preached the word of God. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. You see that? There was a blessing. People came to faith. Large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So even the priests, those who object, they came to the faith. God smiled. God blessed upon the ministry. Here's my point. Effective Christian service must begin with the Holy Spirit. Like whether you are serving kids' church, on the creative team, or welcoming people in the foyer, designing some social media images, mixing the audio, discipling people in your community group, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you have the Holy Spirit leading you, guiding, if you are full of the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you, your service to the Lord shall be fruitful. And if it's not fruitful, if it's dry and you're struggling and you're asking why, 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 ask yourself the question, am I being influenced by the Holy Spirit? Am I full of the Holy Spirit? In the New Testament, we see two phrases which are very, very similar The phrase on the screen here, filled by the Holy Spirit or full of the Holy Spirit. The Greek words are very, very similar. Filled, peplimi, full, pletro. Very similar. Peplimi, pletro. Very, very similar. Slightly different. But let me try to teach you that without confusing you. When you are filled by the Holy Spirit, that talks about God's sovereign will in filling you with His presence over and over and over again. All right? We are, uh, the Holy Spirit indwells in us. He indwells in us. We have Him as Christians, but His feeling of us happens ongoing. It's over and over and over again. One of the things that I do every time I stand to preach is I say, God, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Will you empower me? Will you control me? Will you influence me so that when I speak, I speak with power, with passion? That's my prayer. Plero, full, right, is usually a product. It's, it's the outworking. It's where we have what you call uh, the, the character of, of, of a Christian. It's, it's the spiritual uh, qualities of someone who has been filled with the Spirit. In other words, you're a person of faith. You're a person of joy. You're a person of wisdom. You're a person of grace. That's the reason why when you look in the text, when they selected the seven, they were people full of the Spirit and also of wisdom. All right. Now, if those two terminology kind of confuse you, let me just say this, right? If you see them in the Bible, just see them as the same thing. Don't get too technical because some has, some has taught that one is the process, one is the product. Yeah, don't get too technical. Just see this at the very bottom. It's when the Holy Spirit is constantly what? He's empowering you. He's influencing you. He's controlling you. When He does that, you will be full of the Spirit and you'll be filled with the Spirit. All right? That's the best way to understand it. And what we see in the text right here is that they were people, these deacons. Stephen was someone he was totally influenced by the Holy Spirit. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians 5, if you know. He begins to contrast an individual influenced by alcohol and an individual influenced by the Holy Spirit. Let's go there. Ephesians 5, 
18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled, plero, there it is, with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. You see what he's doing? He's contrasting. If you are controlled, if you are influenced by alcohol, it's going to lead to destruction, right? It's not God glorifying. But however, if you are filled, full of the Holy Spirit, it's going to lead to praise and there's power and there's service. Can you see the contrast, what Paul is doing in Ephesians 5? And so what we need to understand is that the feeling of the Holy Spirit, if you remember a message months ago on this topic here, it's ongoing. Because the Greek word here talks about it's continuous, it's ongoing. It happens throughout the Christian walk. So one of the things that we need to do as Christians, if we're serving, is to always have that prayer. God, will you fill me? for service? Will you help me as I stand before kids' church? Will you help me as I lead worship? Will you help me as I raise my children? That's a prayer that we need to be praying all the time as we ask God to fill us over and over and over again. And let me say this, if you are a person full of the Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit, you notice that your service to the Lord, oh, it will be one of purity There'll be such pure in the way you serve. It will be one of peace and there'll be one of power. Let me explain those three Ps. You know, it's pure. It's because when you serve, led by the Holy Spirit, influenced, controlled by the Holy Spirit, your agenda is God's agenda. Like you are always thinking about God's glory. You want to make sure that whatever you do brings glory to God. You want to point people to Christ. You want them to walk away with your service saying, I love Christ even more and not you. And there's no agenda it's not about your glory. It's not about trying to manipulate people so they go, well, how good is pastor so? How good is my leader? No, no, no. How good is Christ? Because you're so pure in the way you serve. The second one is peace. You have peace with God. You have peace with the people around you. And you have peace with your gifting. Therefore, you don't compare and you don't contrast with the other person who's on the other lane. All right? So when you serve and, and you're like, yeah, I'm very comfortable with what I'm doing, and I know my part, and I know how I serve with this other person. Where we serve together, we bring glory to God. You notice in the text, Stephen didn't say, well, how come I'm serving food and Peter gets to preach? Why can't we just switch it around and I get to be on stage and preach and someone else can serve food? No, no, no. There's such peace. You want me to serve food to the widows? I shall do it. I shall do it. And I'll stick to my lane. And you find that your service is full of peace. There's no disappointment. There's no envy or jealousy. Amen? And you see there's power. Oh, there is power. Like the way you serve, there is so much power. And I can see that in this church here. I'll use my amazing YWAMers, who I should be calling them Sun Lifers, but I still call them YWAMers. You guys serve with such power. I know that you start work at 8 o'clock every day. You come to the base and you clean the base and you work to 5.30 p.m. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And a lot of you here, you serve here as well. You're leading youth, young adults. You're on stage. You're behind the sound. That's the guy that's doing my media is from YWAM right now. You bring joy to me because when I see you serve, you serve with such power. I, I can see the power of God in you and through you. Not only that, 
a lot of you here, this church here, you are full-time students. You work your nine-to-five job, your doctors, your engineers, your teachers. You work a long day and then you come home and you're preparing to run your small group ministry. You're coming here on a Tuesday to rehearse and have worship ready for Sunday. You're preparing kids' lessons so that you can teach kids the gospel on Sunday. And every one of you who is serving here, you don't have to do that because you can simply do your nine to five, be a good Christian, go home and just rest out and chillax and watch some Netflix. But you don't. And I see power in that. And I see that sometimes even though you're so tired and you're weak, even Kate earlier on was just sharing us from, from 2 Corinthians 12 how, you know what, in our weakness there's power. You know? And I see that, you know why I see that? It's because you are influenced, you are controlled, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let me say this, if you are serving at Sun Life Church, your prayer should always be, Holy Spirit, will you fill me? I want to be full of you so that whatever I do, it's effective. Because I know that effective Christian service must begin with the Holy Spirit. Because if it begins with us, it's not going to last. And if right now you're finding it very, very tough that what you're doing, there's no joy, there's no satisfaction, there's no fruitfulness, ask yourself the one question, am I asking God to fill me? And if you are, I guarantee you, because I believe in the Word of God, that God will give you all that you need to do His work well and you'll find it will be very effective and there'll be lots of fruits in what you do. So that's the first thing we can learn right here, all right, that God fills us. His fullness is for everyone. I love the late John Stott. He writes this, and I quote him. He says this, is that the fullness of the Holy Spirit, right, what we see right here, is not, uh, is emphatically not a privilege reserved for some. In other words, the some here is not like for the pastors and the preachers. No, but it's what? A duty resting on all. That every one of us here, we are called, right, to ask God's Spirit to fill us, to make us full, so that we would do the work of God. Amen? The second thing we can see here is that Christian courage it's enabled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he begins to give Stephen such courage to stand before these Jewish people. Because what we notice here is that Stephen, he's doing a great job serving food, but the text tells us that he's doing some great signs and wonders. And the Jewish leaders, they get a bit scared, they get a bit intimidated, and they begin to find ways to persecute him. Go with me, Acts 6, verses 8 to 10. Now Stephen a man full of God's grace and power. You see that? He performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now look in verse 9. Opposition arose. Verse 10. They could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. You know, he is speaking with such influence by the Holy Spirit and these people, they're getting so jealous. Now look in verse 12. They seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is simply a Greek word for sit down. It's when you would stand before a group of people who are seated and they're accusing you, they're examining you. And these are Jewish leaders, right, who are looking at Stephen. Okay, now look in verse 13. They produce false witnesses. So they've got false witnesses to give false testimony of Stephen. This fella never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law of Moses. Can you see that? They've got false witnesses. It's just Stephen by himself with all these religious leaders. He's like in a courtroom and they're looking at him. They're accusing him. They've got false witnesses. 
Now look at Stephen's reaction, verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Wow! So I had to go, what does that face of an angel look like? So I did some Google search. Here's the first one. You like this one here? Wow. Hey, that's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Looks a bit like Steve. Next one is nice. Wow. Is that a face of an angel? Not yet? Definitely the next one here. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely all right. Definitely all right. There, there. I, I, I picture that it, it was a face that was calm. It was cool. It was collected. You know, they were accusing him. They were making up some false testimonies. The entire Jewish council. And he was like, bring it on. Now look in verse 51. Now look how he responds. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors who always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestor did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. That's Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. That's Jesus. Look at that response. You want to talk about courage? You want to talk about bravery? He goes, you know what? You killed him. You know, I will hold on to what I believe. My moral compass is not going to be altered. I'm going to stand firm in the gospel. He begins to, you know, have a go at them. He stood firm, regardless, with everyone looking at him, judging him, accusing him. There was such courage in Stephen. You know, when I was a high school teacher, um, when I was studying to be a high school teacher, one of the units that we had to undertake was psychology, especially to understand students and parents as you would deal with them. And there was a research, there was a study where um, they, they had one subject, one person in a controlled environment where they had around 40 to 50 actors. And all the actors were instructed to give the wrong uh, answer to the question. All right. So let's just say the question is simply, what is one plus one? We know one plus one equals two. Oh, we know <laughs> equals the two, right? They were all, all asked to reply three. So the experimenter will ask the first one, what's one plus one? Oh, three. Next person, what is one plus one? Oh yeah, three. And they will answer three. And to the very last person, the subject, what is one plus one? And they say that most of the time that person will say three. Go against their belief knowing that one plus one equals two, but because of the pressure, because of the environment, because of all these answers, which is against what they believe in, is three, they conclude that the answer must be three and they must be wrong. You see, what we see here is that Christian courage is when you're willing to hold on to your belief, hold on to what you know is true, to keep doing what you believe is right, to keep saying those things that you know you should be saying, to keep doing those things you should be doing, even if the world says it's wrong. Even if everyone says that you should not be doing that, you will do that. I should not go there even when the world tells me I should go there. I should still say those words of love when the world tells me I shouldn't and I should be 
angry and there should be hatred towards that individual. I will still do this and do that and not do this and not do that because I believe in what the Word of God says and I really hold on to the truth of the Word of God, even if the world says you shouldn't. That's courage. And what we see right here in the text is that Stephen held true to what he believed in when everyone at the Sanhedrin said that you're wrong. And you and I need to understand that one of the top Christian virtues, right, that we see in the Bible is courage. There is a call to courage throughout the whole Bible. Now we see it in the Old Testament, for example, when Moses was called to lead the people out of Egypt. It was a call to courage. David up against Goliath, a young shepherd boy, that's a call to courage. Esther helping the Jewish people leave and escape the evil hands of Haman, that's a call to courage. And Jonah asked to preach the good news, the, the message of God uh, to the Ninevites, that's a call to courage. And Nehemiah rebuilding the temple wall with all the opposition, that's a call to courage. We have Paul preaching the gospel to the Gentile world, or the disciples, they're all called to courage. That's the reason why as Christians, we have to be courageous. And it only takes place if the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us. All right? And we need to keep that in mind. Our Lord Jesus Christ, before He left, He said to the disciples in John 14 and John 16, Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's a call to courage. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's a call to courage. The Great Commission, you were to go and make disciples and, dis and baptize them. That's a call to courage. And what we understand in the Bible is that a call to courage, right, is not God removing pain. It's not God removing suffering. It's not God removing our fear, but rather God reminding us of His strong presence with us. Because if God removed those pains and the fears, there's no need to be courageous, right? A courage means that there has to be an element of fear. There has to be pain coming our way. But it's the overwhelming presence of God, especially through His Spirit, that helps us to keep endure the pain, to keep doing what we know will be costly, will be painful. That's Christian courage, and it only takes place through the enabling of the Spirit of God. Now, in Deuteronomy, we see this, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for the Lord your God who goes with you, the presence of God, and He will not leave you nor forsake you. Now, that's Old Testament, but we know the New Testament, God's presence is with us through His what? Spirit, right? And that's what we see in Acts. A few chapters prior in Acts 4, 31, they were all filled with who? The Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the Word of God with what? Boldness, with courage. I want to encourage you, church, that if you are facing any form of persecution, any form of suffering, sometimes God doesn't want you to pray the prayer to remove that. But maybe the prayer that God wants you and I to pray is will I have more of you so that your presence helps me to endure what I need to go through. A lot of times, Christians, we love praying the prayer. Will you take away this suffering? Will you take away this persecution? Will you take away this pain? Will you take away this whatever? Will you give me a breakthrough? Whatever. I get that. But maybe the prayer that God wants us to pray is will you fill me with your spirit 
so that your presence is so great that I know that as I go through that dark, deep, lonely valley, your presence is with me. And that will give me the courage to keep pressing on, to keep doing what I need to do. And that's a prayer that we ought to be praying if we are in the midst of fear right now. If you are facing something right now that you don't like and you've been praying, will you take it away? Will you take it away? Will you take it away? Maybe change the way you pray. Will your presence be so close to me that I know that as I go through this season of suffering, this season of hardship, this season of dryness, your presence will help me get through it and you will give me the courage I need to endure this because I know your presence enables me to be courageous. Amen. So Christian courage, all right, Christian courage is only enabled by the presence of God. And lastly, Christian martyrdom is possible through the Holy Spirit. Look what happens now to Stephen moments later. At the end of chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gashed their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57. And at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Verse 59. And when they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. You know, Christian writers use the term sleep so that we understand that when we go to sleep, we usually wake up the next day. Is that right? And what, what the author here, especially Luke, is referring to, and we see this in Paul's writing as well, is that when we die, we're actually sleeping because we're waiting for the resurrection. We, wake, we wait to wake up at our resurrection. There's a day where God will resurrect our body and we have this glorious body. Therefore, for Christians, when we die, we're not dead forever. It's not final. We're just sleeping because we're waiting for the day that God will resurrect our body. Therefore, we see the phrase, he fell asleep. But what we understand is that he died. He was a martyr. He was the first martyr recorded in the New Testament right here. But I want to show you something carefully. Look with me in verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Spirit, there it is again, Holy Spirit is upon him, and he looked up to the heaven and what did he see? The glory of God. Full of the Holy Spirit, he looked up towards the heaven and he saw the glory of God. And I really believe that he witnessed the smile of God upon his life. That God was smiling upon him, that God was pleased with him, and God said, it's okay, it's time to come home. And I also believe that there was an assurance that God is in control. That God has got this. God has kept Stephen in the palm of his hand and that the face of terror was nothing to be afraid of. That the glory of God reminded him that this is not home, heaven is home. You know, friends, let me say this, Christians, Sun Life Church, Christian in Perth, Christian in Australia, Christian in the Western world, we, I believe, we don't have to fear about giving up our lives for the gospel. Martyrdom is not something that we will experience, but I do know there are Christians around the world who 
have given up their lives for the sake of the gospel. Monday night after prayer, when we came here for prayer, I left and I went home. Some of my Christian uh, brothers, leaders in Perth, messaged me, said, hey, Bin, I urge you to pray. I want you to start praying because I know of brothers and sisters in the faith who are about to give up their lives for Jesus in the coming days, in the coming weeks, in Afghanistan. Will you pray? Will you pray? And you know, one of my prayers was that, Lord, will you just reveal your glory to them? That moment before they are about to take their last breath, will they see your glory? Will they know that you are pleased with them? Will they know that their assurance is kept in you? Will they know that this is not home, that heaven is home? Will they know that you're in control and this is not a surprise to you? That was my prayer right there. And I prayed that prayer that God would smile upon their lives, these brothers and sisters of ours who are willing to give up their lives for the gospel. We don't have to worry about that here at Sun Life Church. We don't have to. But there are brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are willing to give up their lives because they would not alter what they know is true, that Jesus is the only hope to this fallen world. And they're willing to die for the sake of the gospel. And I pray that if we ever, ever are in a situation where we're willing to die, that we will say, Holy Spirit, will you reveal the Father's glory to me and I will give up my life for the gospel. It reminds me of a true story of a young girl. Corrie is her name. One day she said to her dad, he said, Father, Daddy, I'm afraid that I don't have the strength and the courage to be like a martyr for Jesus. Dad, being very wise, he said, well, Corey, tell me something. Before you catch a train from Harlem to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money to buy the ticket? Three weeks before? No, she says, of course not, Dad. You give me the money just before we hop onto the train to buy the ticket. And that's exactly, that is so true. And that's the same with our Father in heaven. At that moment where you're willing to give up your life for the gospel, He will give you the strength. He will give you all that you need to give up your life at that very time. And I believe that some of these brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, just before They will take their last breath. God will give them all that they need through His Spirit to see His glory and say, take my life. Take my life. And I pray for our church here that if we ever have to be in a situation where we would give up our life for Jesus, our prayer is that, Father, will you reveal me your glory? Will I see your smile upon my life? Will I know that my assurance is in your hands? Will you take my life right now? But it's not going to happen unless we're full of the Holy Spirit. Christian martyrdom is only possible through the Holy Spirit. And so, Sun Life Church, what I want to do now is I want us to spend this time in prayer. I want you with me to pray for those in Afghanistan. Here's the prayer points on the screen. We pray for Christians, brothers and sisters, 
those who are our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, that God, through His Spirit, will give a glimpse of His glory. And if they're willing to give up their lives, they will have the confidence to do so. We pray for world leaders, wisdom in how they handle the world affairs and how they support Afghanistan, especially for generosity towards the refugee. We know right now in our country, we're accepting 3,000 refugee, Afghan refugee, but that's just the floor, right? We want to see more. You know, I was a refugee. I had a second chance here. And I'm so glad that my life could be a life where I could hopefully bring glory to Him and see people love Him. So we pray that the world will be generous in welcoming these Afghan refugees. We pray for the unbelievers, that God will do His work and draw them to the cross, and God will save many. And finally, we pray for the evildoers, that chaos will fall upon their evil scheme and ruin their plans. So this is how we're going to do this. You can either pray by yourself or pray with the person next to you if you know them. But let's pray those four prayer points. For those joining us online at home, those four prayer points are on the screen. You also pray as well. We pray not into the open air, but we pray into a God who's sovereign. We pray into a God who's in control. We pray a God who can do the impossible. We pray for those four things right now. So Sun Life Church right now and those at home, why don't we pray? Pray. Pray. And as you pray, I'm going to do the same thing like what I did in the first service. If you felt led, you come forward and you grab the mic and you pray on behalf of our church. We pray believing that our prayers matters and our prayers are powerful and God can do something with our prayer. So let's do it right now, church. Let's go. Let's pray.